Welcome, everyone, to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting-edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined by Dr. Leland Stillman, who has a very interesting story and has written a book, Dying to be Free. So he's a really bright guy. He's been to my house once at least and uh, is uh, an amazing individual with respect to how he's embraced natural medicine at such an early age. So it's going to be an interesting dialogue and we're, of course, going to be discussing this book, which touches on it's a really good review of the pandemic and the craziness that we've gone through the last two years. And he's really compiled a good, good effort in that. So we're going to be reviewing that. So welcome and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So the uh, I think it's probably best to get into your background story because it helps people understand where you're coming from. So you are, when did you graduate medical school? This century, probably. 2014. 2014. <laughs> yeah. Not making you feel your age. Oh, geez. The reason I'm so shocked is because you, you, you have the wisdom of someone who graduated in like, you know, 2070 or not 20, 1970, because you really, your brain works in a way that you're really, no, I'm serious. It's, there's one thing about being book smart and intelligent. The other is to be wise. And, and uh, mm. you, you have a lot of wisdom for someone of yours, but I, I, I really am surprised it's 2014. I, I thought it thought it was this century, but really thought it could have been easily last century. So anyway, I, what I'm interested in, and I'm somewhat passionate about this is there is beyond a desperate need for individuals mm. like you to exist in the country. I mean, we need tens, hundreds of thousands of people like you. You're the anomaly, the absolute anomaly. And there's, there are others for sure. But I'm wondering if you could walk us through, maybe hope that the intention of this, you sharing your personal story is to help inspire and catalyze a few others to do this because we need so many more like you can think. Mm. Now, admittedly, you have to have the foundational common sense thinking skills that many people, and especially physicians, fail to have. And uh, it's interesting, the CEO who runs my company for the last two decades um, was born and raised as a farmer. And I think farmers who used to comprise the majority of the, the workforce in the United States, and I don't know when that shifted, but that used to be the primary occupation in the United States was farmers, but they have this in yeah. common sense wisdom. They get things done and, you know, they, they have to exist and thrive with, you know, very few resources and they're able to just put it all together. So it's that it's, it's the ultimate common sense, which of course isn't very common. And I think you're a really good contemporary example of non-farmers who have this. So, you know, but I'm sure there's some people like you out there who would be inspired by your story. So if you can just walk us through, I mean, were you, I mean, I was absolutely brainwashed in medical school, totally bought mm. it, hook, the, the conventional paradigm hook, line and sinker. And, right. uh, and, and it took, you know, we're not going to go into my story today, but I'm wondering, you know, is, is that your story too? Or how'd you get out of that? And what's your transition into doing what you're doing now, which we'll go into in great detail. 
Sure. So I, I grew up in a very conventional family as far as the medical care we got. Uh, delivered in a hospital. Um, you know, I was born in 1988. It was the late 80s. The vaccine schedule hadn't gotten so crazy and out of control yet. My mother took us to the regular doctor. She remembers me being a very happy, healthy baby until my first round of vaccines. Then I devolved into crying, screaming, fussiness, um, lots of ear infections, frequent colds, flus, respiratory tract infections. Um, later, well, probably in, in retrospect, I was dealing with some food allergies, but we didn't know that at the time. And my mother had had similar problems with my sister who actually ended up having terrible um, eyes crossing or strabismus after um, we, I think post vaccines, mom said they crossed like one or two days after. And so she took my sister to the ENT to have her sinuses drained surgically um, at a very early age. And she tells this really, you know, it's funny in retrospect, um, this story of, of holding my sister over the Amesis basin and saying to the doctor, you know, this is, this is it, right? We fixed the problem. We don't have to do this again, right? And he says, oh no, the fluid and the, and the sinuses could reaccumulate. We might have to go in and operate it again because the hole we've drilled is, is going to heal over. And she just thought there has to be a better way. And so she started hunting for that better way. And over my childhood and teenage years, I remember going to homeopaths, dowsers, craniosacral therapists. I mean, everybody and anybody we did um, cupping or coining as it's sometimes called, uh, which is a Southeast Asian medical practice. We tried a lot of things. We tried supplements and herbs and, and all kinds of weird stuff. And I thought it was fascinating. My dad thought it was all total hocus pocus. I'll never forget him. I was taking melatonin to help me sleep. It was like a tiny dose, of course. And, you know, he argued with my mother over whether or not this was safe. And he said, well, you know, we've never done any like, studies don't exist and whatever. He took the very conventional route. And, you know, my mother was like, this is safe, harmless, whatever. And I just remember thinking, this is a weird thing for you guys to be arguing about. I think there's something more going on here. Um, but anyway, I, I, I was, I became fascinated is the bottom line by health. And I remember very distinctly in childhood, not being a very healthy, robust kid. And it was in retrospect, because I was spending a lot of my time in a basement playing video games, watching TV, not getting any light, not getting any sun, not exercising. I didn't have anyone who kind of pushed me to be active and outdoors. And I remember very distinctly being the last pick. I was young for my, my grade too. I was like one of the last, I'm a June baby. And so I, you know, when I graduated high school, I was only 17. When I, when I, you know, graduated med school, I was only 26 or 25 or something like that. And so I remember um, being on the on the sports field and being the last pick in pickup football. <laughs> and I thought this is frustrating. For some reason, I was very always very driven, always wanted to be something great, do great things, do big things. And then in my teenage years, um, I still wasn't very healthy. I wasn't very robust. My mother kept taking us to different people and I, and I gravitated towards a naturopath who was a very old school, self-taught, never went to official school, never had a real, you know, diploma from a real, you know, four-year institution, but he, and he threw lots of different things at lots of different people and did muscle testing and energy healing and all this stuff, you know, and I saw real value in what he did. Um, in, in retrospect, I always wonder how much of that was placebo and how much of that was real, but I can't know that. And to a certain extent, I don't care. Um, what I learned was that there's a lot of value in natural medicine. 
and you, you, there's a lot of corruption in the conventional world. And this was, was, before medical. was this all before medical school? Was this all before? Oh, yeah, medical I mean, this was even before, before college. Wow. Um, and I became very devoted to him as a mentor. And later we had a falling out over a business deal that we tried to go through together, um, which was very tough for me. But at the end of the day, what really made me how I am is that I had all of these competing viewpoints in my life. I had conventional medicine that my dad wanted us to do. You know, he still gets the flu shot. He got, is, your, is your dad a physician? Four, your dad a physician? No, my father's a lawyer by training. Okay. Okay. But he got at least four shots of Moderna or Pfizer or whatever. Um, and you know, then you, my mother is very alternative and integrative, but very much splits the difference. You know, she got, you know, intimidated and, and, and frightened into getting two doses of Moderna as well, um, you know, until she saw the light and realized this was a total scam. Uh, and then, so I grew up in both worlds and that, and that forced me to think, well, you know, these people are all seem very well-intentioned in some cases anyway. And they all talk a great game and there's science on both sides of the aisle. So what's the truth? What really works here and what matters and what should we be doing? And it really doesn't take a whole lot of digging um, in order to really get, get a handle on how corrupt the medical establishment and industry is. I think you have to have it, though, at an earlier age. Um, otherwise, you just shut down and you say, it can't be that corrupt. I'm not going to look you know, down, that, um, down that rabbit hole because it's too disturbing for doctors to think, you know, how much they've damaged their patients. Um, long story short, Stephen, that mentor of mine, a naturopath, told me, go to med school, we'll give you the best training, highest licensure, you'll be able to do everything from IV vitamins and ozone to supplements and nutrition and herbs. And that will be invaluable in the world that's coming because he, he way back in the, in the, just right after 2000, he said, look, they're going to create a system where you know, no one has prescriptive authority of vitamins and supplements. It's very restrictive. It's very authoritarian. We'll all be practicing underground and who knows what will happen, uh, but it's coming. And so he, he was very prophetic in that sense. Question for sure. No question. Yeah. Glad you had that training. I'm glad it, it sounds like it was your mother who was the key here that really instilled with you the uh, curiosity to find these other Absolutely. types of therapies. Yeah. So Absolutely. I think the key is to have mothers like this training the physicians. <laughs> so well, moms I mean, out so there, you can play movies. a huge role. You can play a huge role. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, the conventional medical system is driving people down this path. I see more and more people from my background gravitating more towards the integrative natural medicine. You know, I think in, when I was growing up, it was very much the hippie moms and, and, and mm -hmm. grandmas who got kids into natural and integrative medicine. But you see more and more people who have stories like mine, where we say, well, you know, we did all the conventional stuff. We got all the shots. We did everything we were told to sent the kids to a good school, had them get high, you know, marks, sent them to sports, sent them to whatever. And look, look how they turned out. Um, and they had allergies and asthma and hypothyroidism and ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. I mean, you know, it's remarkable how few young, healthy people there are in 2022. Everyone's got some combination of these chronic illnesses and they think it's normal and it's totally being normalized. I see this on the television at, you know, when I go out to eat, uh, if, if there's a TV on, you know, so many of the ads are pharmaceuticals. And I know who they're marketing to, right? They're trying to normalize young professionals who a generation ago were on no meds. 
taking all these monoclonal antibodies for autoimmune diseases, all these different immunomodulators that will change their immune systems to prevent them from having allergic or autoimmune symptoms. And it's just, it's so obvious that it's painful to watch people um, ignore the, the gradual devolution of American health, which is what my, my book is about and why mm -hmm. I wrote it. That is a brilliant summary because I really think it, it addresses what I perceive to be one of the cores of the, the, the challenges in front of us and that we have to create or inspire and have a, a whole large number of, of young physicians who really understand the truth as you just shared it. Uh, so I'm curious with your perspective, because it's significantly different than mine. First of all, you're still seeing patients quite actively and we'll discuss the type of practice you're, you're currently involved with now at a, in a moment, but and how you got there. But I'm wondering from your perspective of being active in patient treatment and, and having colleagues, if you can elaborate a bit on the comment you made earlier and that you're seeing, your, your perception is that there's, a, there's an increasing number who are waking up, understanding the truth of what they've gotten themselves into and maybe expand on that because I, I'm, I really think that's a big part of the solution is to understand the driving forces and perhaps uh, support them in some way. So I've received a number of different notes, um, you know, text messages, direct messages on Instagram, various different communications from colleagues who are my age group uh, in support of things I've said during COVID. And I've been very, I think I've been, I've been fairly outspoken. I, I could have been more outspoken, but I was really busy seeing patients. And, uh, and so I, uh, there's more and more young doctors waking up. The problem is that um, many of them see no way out of the system. It's not easy. And they've made it incredibly hard by design to start your own practice. They really want to keep all of the physicians corralled and, 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 and well, let's expand on that too, because part of it is, is it has oh, yeah. to be the debt. You know, it's a quarter million to half a million dollars in debt by the time you finish your medical training. That's exactly right. So, yeah, they've, yeah. they've, you're a slave. My friend Dylan calls it corralling the elephants. They've corralled the elephants, the physicians by number one, the debt. And so people are terrified of, of starting a business that may completely fail. I think this is also part of why they, mm -hmm. they really ruined organic reach on social media. It's extremely difficult now to just start posting content on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. I mean, when they started, these platforms were very open and it was very easy for people to get to one, two, 300,000 people following them. Mm -hmm. If you have that many people following you, it's very easy to start a business marketing to them because even if you only have a tiny fraction of them come through, you're able to pay your bills and pay yourself and make rent, mortgage payments, et cetera. But particularly for physicians, particularly, you know, as they get out of their training, they've been starved for income. Mm -hmm. They've been making 50, $55,000 a year, working 12 days a week, sorry, 12, 12 out of 14 <laughs> days. That was my schedule when I was in training yeah. and, you know, working 80, a hundred hour weeks, you know, 60 was light. That was like, Oh, you're on vacation. You might as well, you know, kick up your feet and have a beer. And so the, the, the doctors come out and they say, Oh my gosh, now I can afford nice things. I can finally, you know, buy that BMW and I can finally get the nice house. And so they wind up living paycheck to paycheck with no plan to pay off their debt until, you know, 2050, 2060, 2070, and they get to live a nice life, but they're also, you know, if they miss, if, if they miss one income, you know, uh, period, all of their debts are in arrears. 
And so I didn't have that mentality going in. I don't know how my parents raised me to be, you know, very frugal, but I always looked at debt as something you'd be crazy to have because, and it took, I actually remember my father tried to explain the concept of debt to me at like the age of six. And I just remember thinking, dad, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just work more hours so you had the money and then you could buy the thing outright mm -hmm. instead of paying somebody back more money later? I didn't understand the concept of inflation and money printing and fiat currency at the time. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> so that's how they've they've roped physicians into this. And there's a lot more docs in the, in the hospital who wish they hadn't gotten the COVID vaccine, who are faking their papers without a doubt, um, who or or who got a couple of shots and now are going to fake it. Um, and they're really upset. They're really unhappy. Um, you know, particularly I think, and, and it's tough to get numbers on this, right? Because mm -hmm. how would you get numbers on this? Everyone's lying. And if they're not lying and they're telling the truth, well then, you know, I guess we're, I guess we have a real, really big problems, but, but the, the, the problem is that it, you just, you can't ruin people's health. So immediately after a, a thing like a vaccine and not have people wake up. And they've yeah. really put the pedal to the metal. It was one thing and it was five or six vaccines. Kids were getting asthma and allergies. It's another thing when young, young people are dropping dead. I mean, I just heard a story the other day about a guy I used to take ballroom dancing classes uh, with, and he had a double amputation below the knee. Um, and people, you know, in his circles just think he happened to get meningitis out of the blue and have both of his feet <laughs> amputated. I've been practicing for eight years. I was in med school four years before that. I have never in my life heard or seen of a healthy 20 something year old male having a double lower extremity amputation. You know, you could convince me a 35 year old obese diabetic, mm -hmm. you know, a 40 year old, 50 year old with bad heart disease, you know, some kind of clotting disorder, but I've never seen anything like that. And I have no doubt it's due to the COVID vaccines. Yeah. But it's because you can, you have your critical thinking skills. They haven't evaporated as they haven't almost most of the physicians, I think it's, my guess is it's, it's appears to be the majority. Now, I would really be interested in your perspective on it. Do you think that the majority have just lost their critical thinking skills of the physicians or they just choose to, for the variety of reasons you just elaborated on, to suppress them and not uh, voice their opinions in, for fear of losing their salary? I think it's a combination. And I also, also think that people like you and I, for whatever reason, can't really stand to be muzzled and leashed. We just have something inside of us that wants to be free and really be honest and blunt with people. And people find that really refreshing, but we're rare, rare birds. And I'm amazed constantly by the capacity of people to put up with and tolerate miserable, totally nonsensical, um, and sometimes outright I mean, farcical uh, situations in their work environment, in their in their marriages, in their health, um, for long, long periods of time. I mean, people are really afraid of change. So you know, I'll hear stories like of of people in the of, of doctors in the doctor's lounge saying, "I'm not getting another one of these COVID vaccines. This is nonsense, right?" Mm -hmm. And no one's saying, "Well, that's crazy." Everyone's saying, "Yeah, no, me neither, right?" Um, I can't I can't document any of that. Um, but I think that, you know, people will say things like that and refuse the COVID-19 vaccine or fake it, but they won't go to the hospital administrator. They won't, you know, come out on social media. They won't go to the infectious disease doctor and say, hey, this was the biggest failure of your specialty in the history of the world. You guys look like a pack of fools. You've made us all look dumb. And you've hurt a lot of people, obviously, 
you know, even aside from all the adverse events, I mean, just the, the way this has divided society is unbelievable. Um, you know, I mean, it's so funny. I mean, you know, vaccines used to be sort of politicized in the sense that there were a lot of people who were single voters when it came to medical freedom. But now, I mean, it's left, right, um, pro-vaccine and medical freedom and even anti-vaccine. I mean, I, the silver lining in this is it's really getting people off the fence so we know where people stand and, and we can sort this out sooner rather than continuing the kind of cold war between the homeschoolers and the private schoolers and the vaccine you know, choice on this side and the public schools and the public health establishment on the other. Perfect. So I think it might at this point uh, be wise to let us know how you progressed out of medical school or even discuss, touch on your experience in medical school, knowing what you knew going in. You are a very exceptional person because, I mean, I, I obviously fully embraced natural medicine, but I didn't when I was going through school. And very, I think there might have been one person in my class who didn't. I didn't recognize them at the time, but it's the rare bird who does that, who, who understands that they are not going to be accepting the propaganda and the brainwashing that occurs, which is essentially was uh, catalyzed by the uh, 1910 uh, Flexner report uh, sponsored by Carnegie and Rockefeller to literally transformed American medical system. Uh, so we've been, we're 112 years into that conversion now. So essentially you do give you no training, none in natural medical approaches. And you could just brainwash with pharma a model to essentially categorize a collection of symptoms into a disease that there's a, there's a prescribed prescription protocol for, or sometimes surgical, uh, but typically almost always a, a pharmacological intervention. So I mean, maybe just comment on your experience of going through the, you're an, you're an internist. So you went through three years of residency training. So seven years of medical training, knowing this was all baloney and uh, you know, some of the, some maybe I, I would just be curious to have your co uh, views on or perspective on it. And then also, you know, what you did after you finished your residency and then what you're doing now. So I just went in with as much of an open mind as I could, knowing that there was a lot of value to be had in conventional medicine. And I had just, it was my job to figure out what that was. Okay. And I, you know, I did what I had to do to get through it. I, I didn't, I was very wary of things, but I also wasn't totally sure about things because, mm -hmm. you know, as much as they're corrupt and, and, and there's, and they being the medical establishment, and there's a lot of misinformation, you know, there's still, there's still truth and value in that, um, in the literature, right? They haven't completely corrupted science. We don't want to throw that out. It's so funny. It's getting close though. <laughs> it is. I mean, the, the, dis, the, the degree of disconnection from reality and you go back to your earlier point. I mean, I think what makes farmers commonsensical is the fact that they do not have the luxury of being detached from the consequences of of their actions and from the harsh realities of nature. You know, there's no way to insulate a field from a hurricane, um, at least not yet, but you can insulate yourself from your vaccine injured patients. If you're a doctor, you can insulate yourself from the efficacy of natural medicine. You can just sort of put that in a little box outside of your bubble and it never inv invades your life. And you only look at the stories of all the horror stories or the, you know, so-and-so took 18 bottles of, you know, green, coffee bean extract and died of liver failure. 
you know, mm-hmm. and then, oh, therefore supplements are bad, right? You know, these ridiculous hit pieces and, 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 mm-hmm. and scare stories that we run across all the time. So going in though, knowing that a lot of it was, was, was garbage. I just kind of kept my eyes peeled, my, my mind open. I just kept watching patients and seeing what worked and seeing what didn't work and seeing what mattered. And, and I'm trying to understand the system. And, you know, I, it became very clear after a very brief period of time, you know, we can really make people better with acute, urgent emergency care medicine, but mm-hmm. 99% of the people in the ER and the urgent care wouldn't be there if they had a healthy environment, a healthy lifestyle and a healthy diet. And this is still true of the people in my my practice who know and understand integrative medicine and natural medicine and the value therein, um, but who are having trouble, obviously, and need, need, need my help to put those those pieces together because it's very, you know, with our modern world, there's just so many different things that can derail our health. So I just tried to focus on what, what works here, what doesn't work. And then on the same time, in integrative medicine, natural medicine, there's so much that doesn't work or isn't important. And, you know, people come into the office, they're on 20 different supplements. It's $1,000 a month. You know, they've spent, they can't tell you how many thousands or tens of thousands of dollars they've spent on X, Y, Z over the years without resolution of their problem, right? So not all of natural medicine is what people you know, need, you need different tools for different cases. And frequently what people are ignoring is just the fundamentals, which don't really get any, you know, any, uh, they don't get the glory a lot of the time, uh, because, you know, no one is spending their advertising dollars on them. Um, and so I, I just tried to tried to focus on what, what works from both fields and then integrate that. And I quickly realized that a lot of the luminaries out there on both sides were, were really corrupted not necessarily out of any kind of malice or, or um, ill will, but the, what, what I saw happening was, you know, a doctor would get famous for X, Y, or Z. They would look good on camera and then they would be, um, they, somebody would find a, a grant to throw at them. And, you know, pretty soon you've got the plant-based medicine Institute at X, Y, and Z university. And they're running around telling everyone that they're eating too much protein and they need more plants in their diet. And, you know, uh, cricket flour is better than, you know, grass-fed beef because it's richer in tryptophan and arginine, you know. And so that's what I saw happening very much in the conventional world and the the Mark Hyman's and the and the Patrick Hanaways. I think it's Patrick Hanaway. Forgive me if, I, if I'm wrong, but the, the IFM crowd uh, and the- and that, that who, IFM is Institute for Functional Medicine. Right, Institute for Functional Medicine. Which, 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 which I believe likely- generates the vast majority of what is perceived in the conventional world as alternative positions. They're, Absolutely. But yeah. So and I definitely want to dive there because we are opening up a can of worms. It is very rarely, and I don't, truthfully, I don't ever be ever being discussed in a podcast before, but it's an important topic. And I think there's like no one so better qual- qualified than you to comment on it. Right, because I, I took the IFM initial coursework after having practiced, or and I'll back up. When I came out of residency, I knew I was looking for integrative. I went to work for a guy named Rick Spinagle in Tampa, Florida. He runs a destination wellness center there, which mostly focuses on mold and Lyme. I got a crash course in you know, occult infections, building biology, sick building syndrome, mm-hmm. um, mold toxicity, et cetera. Um, but I also saw that we were we were still doing things in a very aggressive way. You know, it was IV drips for patients every day for weeks on end. And and I saw some people who didn't succeed in the treatment. And I thought this there's got to be a better way. And I left for a variety of reasons that I won't get into. 
And then I just started wandering around the world of medicine, financing my, my studies with uh, a traveling doctor jobs. I was a traveling doctor for three or four years, which really changed my perspective on the whole country because I worked in out of the way mm-hmm. um, rust belt towns that couldn't attract a young doctor. And so I worked in, you know, little towns in Northern Minnesota and, you know, West Virginia and Alabama. And in between these, you know, these jobs, I would go to conferences, I would read books, I would read papers. And I was trying to identify the mentors who I wanted to study with um, and actually learn a method from. And I, I, I briefly flirted with IFM, but I looked at what they were offering and I thought, this is very simplistic. Uh, I'm not attracted to the complexity here. I think this is mostly marketing. Um, mm-hmm. I ended up tuning into a guy named Jack Cruz, who's a neurosurgeon with some very interesting ideas about light, water, magnetism, but he to- totally goes off the rails with supplements, nutrition, things like that. But I, I was looking for something better Then I ended up training with a guy named Anthony Beck in Orlando and ended up leaving working and studying with him because it just wasn't a good working relationship at the end of the day. And, uh, and, and I've been running my own practice since 2020. Um, where I've really put together the best of what I've learned in all those different places and, and with all the different um, uh, experiences I've had as a traveling doctor or working, you know, in, in various, and, and on the, on the, along the way, I've had different part-time jobs at different places and, and worked and mentored with different people. So I've had a, a really eclectic experience, but it's sad. There's not a single practitioner training program out there that I actually um, endorse or approve of, or that I recommend other practitioners to at this point, because they're so mired in various problems. Um, the price is insane. The amount of follow-up and attention isn't right. Their protocols are bad. I was just looking at an Institute for Functional Medicine protocol today for beating hydrochloride that my PA who trained with IFM sent me. And I said, look, Nicole, I, I, don't, I don't think their, their protocol is going to stand up. Um, their, their protocol is a great way to get everyone on betaine hydrochloride, which may, may be good for them, but, you know, you know, we, we have to ask deeper questions. You know, why is the stomach acid low? Do they really need betaine hydrochloride to, to digest their food? So yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And, and there's definitely going to be a new, a new way. And that's what I'm, you know, I'm working with Dr. Gold, Simone Gold, and, and we're hoping to do that at, at Gold Care is create really robust training for clinicians so that they, so that we don't have this problem that we have now, which is where there's only one of me and I get a hundred inquiries a month in a slow month. And I can only work with 20 to 40 people at a time because it's concierge service and because I really focus on each case and spend a lot of time. So, yeah. Yeah, well, thanks for that summary. Uh, and I should expand on the, the Dr. Simone Gold connection because that's how we initially met. Uh, right. Simone, Simone came to our offices in Cape Coral and uh, met with our uh, d- directing staff and was expressed interest in collaborating with us in a, in a project that she was seeking and hoping to launch to really transform medical system and had selected you to head up her wellness division because she was so impressed with your massive clinical experience you know, because of your, the way your brain works primarily. And, you know, you're just able to sort through these things. You have an incredible common sense that people should be able to discern from what you've shared so far. But uh, so, but that project, she, as many people may or may not know, she, was also participating in the January 6th pers- you know, supposed insurrection. Uh, for, and for her participation, she was given or chose to 
accept a sentence of, I think it was eight weeks, maybe 10 weeks in yeah, prison. Yeah, she took a plea deal for 60 days in prison. Yeah. Uh, she ended up getting out, I think, 15 days early. Um, yeah. Thankfully. I actually saw her the, the, about a week ago, maybe eight days ago from the date of our current interview. And uh, she had just been released the day before. I was surprised. It was at an event celebrating Dr. Latipo's uh, book, uh, yes. Fear of COVID-19. Was it fear? I think it was fear of COVID. No, it's a transcend fear. I actually have the book right here. <laughs> he gave us a copy. All right. So I usually, I usually get an electronic copy, but the, he, he was sending out copies at the, uh, get, providing copies at the, at the event. So she was there. It was, it was the first time I ever met her in person. But uh, so I'm glad she's out, but she's like torn between a lot of projects. And, and I'm not sure if, if her, her current project would work. I hope it does because there's a desperate need for it. So maybe you can comment on that and then we can transition into some of the other things. Yeah, so Gold Care Health and Wellness is Dr. Gold's telemedicine startup, which she's asked me to be the wellness director for. And it's definitely it's definitely working. We have a working electronic medical record. We're seeing patients. The question and the, and the challenge now, as people I'm sure will understand, is that it's one thing to create something. It's another thing to scale it from taking care of hundreds of people to thousands of people. And as I'm also sure people realize, the big problem we face right now is that we don't own the infrastructure that we're depending on. So America's frontline doctors, when they originally came out with their statement and they went viral, and I mean, I'll never forget that day. It showed up in our office that I was working at in Virginia that morning. And I thought, these people are great. I'm so glad they're standing up and saying something. Um, but their website was, was taken down and attacked and, and knocked out within a matter of hours. And they had to rebuild it from scratch. And the thing is, they can't just rebuild it from scratch using all the softwares as a service that everybody else is using. They have to do it with their, a completely custom backend. And people don't realize this, but when you're doing custom software from which you cannot be deplatformed and that cannot be hacked into, and GoldCare's medical record is so secure that it's actually something of a problem because I'll ask the tech team, I'd like this feature, I'd like that feature. Can you fix this? Can you fix that? And they say, yeah, sure but everything takes longer because everything is so secure. It's wonderful for our patients. It's wonderful for our doctors. It's wonderful that we can't be deplatformed from our own electronic medical record, but it also makes it tough to scale because, you know, for example, if you buy an off the shelf electronic medical record with off the shelf billing software like Stripe or Square or whatever, well, it's very easy to just plug all that together and make it work. When you're doing custom software, it takes more time and then there's more bugs that have to be worked out. So it's definitely working. It's coming. And when I say it's coming, what I mean is the final version or something really that we're really uh, keen to market across the country to everyone that's not going to have glitches and bugs and crashes, because we certainly don't want to recommend something that's not 100% ready for the capacity. Uh, that's coming. They may even you know, be ready, and I may even be promoting it actively on social media by the time this interview airs. And we have a fantastic team because what this has done is it's, it's really forced wonderful people out of the woodwork. Everyone who had their critical thinking skills intact is ready to jump ship on the old paradigm and create something new. And that's what will really get the attention of the authorities is when, you know, hundreds and thousands of doctors resign and they say, whoa, because there's already a physician and a nurse shortage. I don't know if your listeners and viewers are aware of that, but the, the crisis in in medical staffing is unbelievable. I mean, nurses who two or three years ago were making 20 bucks an hour, 30 bucks an hour max, even working the night shift in critical care bays where the pay is as high as possible are now making 60, 70, 
90 bucks an hour as travel nurses because there's such an insane shortage of providers. And that's largely because of the burnout. Nobody wanted to take the COVID vaccines. I mean, I knew, I knew, I knew none of the providers that I knew, and actually I happened to flock with the birds who, who were at least of a similar feather to me, even if they weren't as extreme, they didn't want it. I mean, I remember one of the clinics I worked at, I asked one of the nurse practitioners there, did anybody get the vaccine? And she said, well, we all got the vaccine, but none of us wanted it. Which is sad, um, but it's a sign that there's a lot more critically thinking adults who are horrified by the great reset agenda in healthcare than they would have us believe. Yes, it is indeed. So um, the challenge will be to put it all together. So the, I mean, there's there's a lot of challenges, but certainly the financial one and, and making the incentives work for everyone, the patients and the physicians, uh, it is going to, it's going to be a work in progress, I think. I mean, there's some, you have to start somewhere, but it, it's, it, there's going to be, be a, I, I've anticipated a lot of tweaking as it evolves. Oh, certainly. Yeah. But you know, the great thing about the way that we're operating is that, you know, and patients don't realize this because they don't have the behind the scenes experience that somebody like you or I have had. Um, but you know, a classic example would be the labs. People think, oh, I need, I need my thousand dollar or my two thousand dollar a month premium, otherwise I won't get my labs paid for. Uh, and they look at the price of the labs and they say, wow, you know, if I get, if I want to get my labs covered, it's going to be hundreds or thousands of dollars out of pocket, and that doesn't cover the physician's expenses, which may be hundreds or thousands of dollars at a concierge practice. When you actually break the numbers down behind the scenes, I can get labs that are retailing for a hundred dollars for $2. We're talking about a, you know, 45 per, or, or fold, whatever markup. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable what's happening in so it's 50, it's 50 fold. Yeah. Excuse me. Excuse my math. Yeah. A better doctor than mathematician. Yeah. So, uh, but, it, but the markups are un unbelievable. I mean, I can pay my PA and NP out of, um, out of the money we're saving the patient on the labs. They can have a consultation with a provider and the labs and get more labs than they would have from, you know, a direct labs now or Ulta labs or where you direct order your labs um, for a lower fee. And it's it. So when you look at the amount of money you can save by going to, for example, healthcare sharing ministry, which I don't know if, if I'm sure you're familiar with these, but you're, you're no, I'm not, be, I'm not, no. you're not. So, so MediShare, no. Liberty Health Share. Uh, Zion Health Share. That there's a there was a loophole in, Med in in the Obamacare law where people said, okay, well you're you're telling us we have to buy this commercial product, but it violates our religious principles. Mm -hmm. For example, the Amish and so mm -hmm. on, the Mennonites. Uh, we need to, you to allow us a, a loophole so we can create our own products that meet our need for religious freedom. And the government said, okay, fine, you can have these healthcare sharing ministries. And these ministries are very loosely affiliated. Um, some of them are, are, I'm sure some of them are more clearly defined in terms of catering to different denominations, but for the most part, they're Christian healthcare sharing ministries. That, and the goal is to share expenses between members and fellow believers and negotiate better prices with hospitals. And it works differently than regular insurance in that most of your costs are out of pocket. And then you submit them for reimbursement from the healthcare sharing ministry and every month you have a member a member fee. And so my fee as a healthy 34-year-old male is like 140, 150 bucks. 
which is nothing compared to what I would be buying as a individual um, getting like a high deductible health insurance plan, which could be hundreds or thousands of dollars a month. And so thousands of dollars. Are you serious? Thousands of dollars for a healthy 30 year old? Well, it depends on what you're getting, right? Because Jeez. if you go with like a low deductible plan with a lot of coverage, it could be that. And the way that they're doing it, because I know that you're immediately thinking, well, hang on, how do they justify that to any healthy 30-year-old? Well, what they do is they say, okay, listen, your autoimmune drug that keeps you operational so that you can make your six-figure professional salary and go out and have beers with your friends and lead a normal life, that drug is going to cost you $50,000 a quarter if you don't have insurance, Right. So it's these classic fear tactics that they're using. But when you keep people healthy, uh, they don't need insurance. They don't need the drug. They don't, end up, they don't need the drugs. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They don't need insurance because they don't need the drugs. And so you can't sell them the insurance at the premium rate. And so, again, it goes back to this, this scam. And that's why the health insurance ministries work. They attract people who are already living close to nature, eating healthy food, or aware that the government is more interested in basically plundering and enslaving them than elevating them and making them free and independent, critically thinking human beings. And they tend to be Christians, right? Obviously. And part of their charter is that they're not going to cover um, any health effects or, 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 or consequences from leading a non-biblical lifestyle, which includes IV drug abuse. I think any recreational drug abuse, but nicotine and caffeine are, I mean, nobody really has really severe, well, that's a whole other story, but uh, no IV drug abuse, no premarital or extramarital sex in some cases. I don't know if they're all that strict on that. And frankly, who would be able to tell? But you get the idea. They're cutting a lot of costs. Like the amount of money we spent on IV drug abusers when I was in the hospital is insane. I mean, these people might come in and get a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars worth of of care. And the way the hospital, you know, pays for that or affords that is they bill the state the maximum amount that's covered under Medicaid which then just is your tax dollars or our debt coming in, coming into the hospital. And then what they do is they jack up the prices for everybody else who can pay because they're the only game in town and they're sending you a bill, you know, 30, 60 days after you've already had your services rendered and you, you're sort of lost in the system of, well, do I pay this bill? Are they going to take my house? That's why so many people wind up in, in bankruptcy and what the healthcare sharing ministries have done, which is brilliant is they basically take these bills and they say, okay, listen, you build our patient $60,000 for this kidney stone. You know, here's your itemized receipt. We know what these things actually cost. You know, you can take this bill for forty, you know, 400 milligram Tylenol, and you can reduce it to two and a half cents. Um, and here's what we're prepared to pay you total for the bill. You know, it'll be five grand. We know that you got it for that. We know this will cover all your expenses. Thank you for asking. And that's what they do. And the hospitals would frankly rather get paid then have to go into collections and try and take people to court and whatever. I mean, they're just, they need to get paid now. Otherwise they go into debt um, hmm. and they really can't afford to do that. So they're happy to work with the healthcare sharing ministries to, uh, to at least keep some cash flowing in. And Those it's gold savings. to. Oh, there's no question. I wasn't aware of that strategy, but it sounds like yes. uh, something that gold care uh, services would be uh, inclined so to collaborate with, because that's the, that is the, the thorn in this in the side of this is if someone does get legitimately sick and generates hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars in expenses, right. you know, that could sink the boat. So is there Absolutely. is there an effort to collaborate with them or that's exactly what we're doing. And so okay, the goal good. for gold care members is for them to have healthcare sharing ministry portion of their plan and then their gold care membership. Most of all, 
and this is why Dr. Gold has hired me as the wellness director, is we are a, we are a medical practice that is focused on keeping people so healthy that they don't need all of this extra care. Right. And the other sad fact is that a lot of the care that, doc that doctors are offering patients as being life-saving and improving their life and improving their quality of life and being medically necessary is absolutely not necessary and is actually not in the best interest of the patient. So I'll tell you a, a story that's from my own practice. I have a, a patient here in Florida. He's, he's like 89. He's very old. He can remember when he's fun to talk to because he can remember when Florida was like dirt roads and you know <laughs> swamps and gators and you know a couple a couple of cities really, and he was on a, a Lupron, which is a, a a drug that suppresses your endogenous testosterone levels. And at eighty something, you have no testosterone running around anyway. So this guy had extremely low levels of testosterone. Meanwhile, he's complaining of all of the classic symptoms of testosterone deficiency, mm -hmm. right? And he's getting this drug that suppresses what little production he has. And I say to him, listen, you know, you've had prostate cancer. You've had it removed. You're on this because your oncologist says you're on it. By the way, he was being the cost out of pocket if they didn't have insurance or Medicare was something like 50 grand every six months. I mean, it was oh my gosh. absolutely usurious price for this drug. And I said to him, look, you're miserable. That's why you're here in my office. You're not here asking me to prolong your life as long as possible. You're here asking me to improve your quality of life. So we must have spent 30 minutes, an hour hashing out, do you really need this drug? What are the risks? What are the benefits? That's the benefit of having a doctor who really takes his time is that you can have those conversations. And then the patient says, you know what? I think I'm comfortable stopping this medication. And sure enough, three, six months later, he's much better. He feels much better off of the drug. We did a lot of other things with nutrition and supplements and testing and dietary changes. So I can't give all credit to ceasing the drug, but you know, there's so much like that in my practice. I mean, the number of people I get off of high blood pressure medications, not by starting them on a new supplement or herb, which of course I'll use if it's indicated, but simply by saying to them, listen, let's check your blood pressure twice a day for a week. And if it's really high at home, and I teach them how to actually take their blood pressure because most of them think that, you know, they can take their high blood pressure any time of day, having done anything, right? If you take your high blood pressure or your blood pressure after you've watched something or, or engaged in something that excites you, mm -hmm. you know, an argument with your spouse, watching the nightly news, reading the, the, the news on your phone, I, I don't care what it is, you know, Instagram, social media. If you do that, your, your blood pressure may be artificially elevated. So it's not really reflecting what your blood pressure actually is. And so I'll get people to take their blood pressure after sitting down for five minutes of rest and relaxation. And lo and behold, they'll have completely normal numbers. We'll pull them off all of their blood pressure medications one at a time by gradually reducing the doses. And it's all because they were relying on one or two numbers from the doctor's office where the, they were nervous because they seen the doctor. They're, you know, they're, they're agitated because they just walked in from the parking lot because they're five minutes late. So of course their blood pressure is high. I mean, this is an epidemic. I, I, I think the blood pressure, high blood pressure is massively overdiagnosed because of this. And it's just one of many examples I can give you about how the mainstream. Oh, so, you know, high blood pressure and then high cholesterol, which is another farce. Uh, but with respect yes. to your 89 year old that was on the uh, anti-testosterone medication, Lupron, uh, it's just getting back to the basis because if he was on a low omega-6 diet to begin with, he probably would have never, ever encountered prostate cancer. But even, even in addition to that, 
it, it's extraordinary because a simple recommendation you can make to someone like that. And he lives in Florida is to get out in the sun around solar noon. And that will like increase your testosterone levels by 25, 50%, you know, for free, no charge, you know, right. no, just be outside. And then you're increasing melatonin. You're increasing obviously vitamin D so many other beneficial things for your body. So it's just extraordinary. Once you get the person back to the fundamental basics, the vast majority, certainly not all, but the vast majority of all their dependencies on these, the pharma model just does disappears almost overnight, which is the one of the most gratifying benefits of practicing this type of medicine. It's, it's so rewarding uh, to see people's lives change for the better and then not need you, you know, as much. I just got an email from one of my favorite patients. She hasn't called me in over a year. Um, I got her Christmas card last year. And that's about as much medical care as, <laughs> as, as she's needed. You know, she just emailed me, not because she's sick, but because she she needs me to renew her uh, her vaccine exemption and add a couple yeah. of jabs to the list of things she's not supposed to get. <laughs> well, that's terrific. So uh, I think you alluded to it earlier, but you wound up in the best state in the country to be in, in COVID, the COVID pandemic. Florida, but I think it was largely a result of one of the mentors that you had. And, and right. I, I want to finish up the, the mentorship component because I think we, we didn't really complete that di dialogue and discussion, but there's an implication there. I just want to found it and solidify it somewhat because the path, the journey you took to acquire your level, so your skill set is very similar to the journey I took. And in other words, I didn't participate in any formalized training education program. There's certainly no and there's no postgraduate training program at the time that existed. And from your recollection, which is clearly a massive update from the time that I explored that, you know, 30 years prior to you, or yeah, just you now 20 years prior at least, mm. uh, was that hasn't changed. There's still a, they exist, but they're they're not something that would be wise to participate in. It's certainly going to be a lot of money for just a, a slight derivative from the conventional medical thinking. So the 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 journey we both took was to essentially fund our, 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 our uh, ability to, to, you know, by practicing. So we had the revenues to survive and to, uh, to engage in these, these other curriculum activities, which is these seminars, these events that, that you're learning from individuals who are competent in all these different disciplines. And then you use your brain to integrate it all together and merge it and take the best of the best. Uh, because that, that seems to be the best strategy. And I just would, you know, like someone who's been through it recently and really has explored the current options much better than I have, because my, my journey was a lot prior to yours, a lot longer prior to yours, rather. Uh, what you would recommend for someone who's in your circumstances that hasn't made the transition, how do they get this education? Because so many make the mistake of, of, of um, enlisting and engaging in these, these, these other strategies, like I found that you mentioned, they don't, they think they got what they need, but they, they never got it. So what, what's, what's your plan of recommendation, how they get, get their skills level up to speed? So the, the number one thing is to tune into the people who've had the courage to actually speak the truth, because what I've certainly found, and you, you know, this, I mean, it's so funny, the influencer space, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, it's full of these people who are functional medicine, wellness, integrative, all this stuff. And the, the funny thing about them, particularly with COVID was five years ago, they couldn't shut up about immunity. Everything was immunity, immunity, this boost your immunity, that 
you know, optimize your immunity, immunity summit, immunity, you know, mastermind. I mean, it was just all immunity all the time because everyone today is particularly young people who are on social media are struggling with autoimmune problems and allergies. So it makes sense mm -hmm. to focus on the immune system. And those same people now will not say anything about the immune system because it gets you, you know, wrecked on social media for the algorithms. And um, what they will do is they'll talk about mindset and they'll talk about toxic relationships and they'll talk about, you know, self-care and they'll talk about anxiety and depression, which of course have all been induced. And the most toxic relationship most people have at this point in history is probably with their, their government and the medical establishment. I mean, obviously there's not, it's not always the case, but these people will talk about it like that. So what's the key and where am I going with that? You need to focus on tuning into the people who got deplatformed, who got censored. I'm not deplatformed because I'm not famous enough. Um, but I've certainly had some, I've had videos taken down. I've had interviews, you know, censored people who have featured me like Zero Hedge and LifeSite News. And of course you now um, have, have had, uh, have been censored and have been deplatformed. Um, because if you're not tuning into the people who are getting censored, banned and deplatformed, you're tuning into people who are not focusing on what really matters. And they may also be leading you astray and into therapeutic paradigms that don't really work. And so you know, you, I mean, you know how much time and effort you've put into the material on your website and people who really want to learn how to practice this need to go there. Um, there's a, there's a, if people are interested in, in communicating with me about this, they can contact me via my website and I can send them some, some resources and training programs and things like that. But so much of this is now just out there, you know, I mean, 10 years ago or five years ago, you know, like blue blockers 10 years ago. I don't, I don't even know if blue blockers existed yet, but five years ago. They well, they did. That was uh, Joel Sugarman. Joel Sugarman was popular, but not for the health reasons. It was for mo mostly visual improvement, but they did exist. Oh, really? Yeah. Joe Sugarman. Yeah. I, yeah I, I connected up with him. He's out in Maui now, but he was a really big huh. marketer back then. I don't know what he's doing much now. Still, I mean, you know, just 10 years ago, think about it. And now, yeah, now yeah. blue blockers, I mean, no one, no one, no one in the health and wellness spaces, it seems like anyway, is ignorant of at least what they are, whether or not they do or do not recommend them. Yeah. But so when you go, is, you know, what's interesting though, I'm sorry for the interruption, but yeah. I, I would agree with that observation, but it's a matter of FTI or failure to implement it. Because when you go, when I go to all these oh, events absolutely. and hard people are, you, 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 almost everyone there knows it, but usually myself and, the, and a friend I'm taking with me, are the only ones wearing blue blockers. The only ones. I know exactly what you mean. And that is why now in my own training, what I'm most focused on is actually helping people to really galvanize themselves into the behavior changes that they need. Because it's not enough to just give people information. Right. The real value is only obtained and realized if you convince them to make the change that matters. And that has been one of the most, it's one of the most disillusioning things, I think, as a practitioner to realize is that so many people are not actually invested in their wellness. They, even who are in the natural medicine wellness space, they, a lot, a lot of people are still stuck in that mindset of, you know, how do I just, you know, put enough duct tape on the fender to keep it from like dragging on the highway? How do I, you know, just sort of make the car run another 10,000 miles? Not how can I really have optimal vitality? How can I be at the top of my game? How do I take my physical being from where it is to as far away from disease as is physically possible? And that's really what I focus on with my patients now, because it's, it just seems like a waste of time to do anything less. Okay. Well, thank you for 
uh, allowing me to address these, what I believe to be really important issues. Uh, and now I would like to divert to your new book. Let, Thank wait, you. Dying to be, what is it? Dying to be free? Dying to be it's free. A, dying to be free. Okay. So that's the book that you've got, which is really excellent. Um, I think, it, is it already published? It is. It's okay. Yeah. So people can yeah. go to, yeah. No, so it's out there. It's a very good read. I've read obviously a number of books on COVID and I've actually written one on it. Uh, but this is interesting from the perspective. It, it's, it is an absolute must read if you're a newbie in the field of natural medicine, because you do such a good job of recalling the historical perspective. And obviously, as anyone who's listened to this far point knows that you're very you, you, your mind works in extraordinary ways. You are an anomaly from that perspective and can communicate very clearly and succinctly. And the way you wrote the book is, is no different than the way you communicate and communicate in this podcast. So uh, why don't you talk a little bit about more about the book, why you decided to write it and, uh, and kind of summarize some of it, parts of it. We can, we can go from there. Yeah. So I decided to write this book because I was so frustrated by what I was seeing and the fact that I didn't feel like people had the full context of what was happening. So many, particularly people on the conservative side, really had, it was, this was very much a coming or awakening for them to the fact that there were really significant problems in the medical field community system. And they didn't understand that these problems have been going on for decades, generations. They need, and also people really like to tiptoe around how big the problem is. I mean, it is truly a colossal fraud for the country to spend 25% of every dollar that is earned. And I mean, what's the value of this dollar that's just being printed out of thin air faster than any printing press can actually run, right? But for the for the country to spend 25% of everything it makes on healthcare and for life expectancy to now be declining, that is truly remarkable. Even when yeah. you look at life expectancy, if it were staying flat, you know, we should be figuring out how to get people to live longer because all the diseases people are dying early from are preventable. Now, so, excuse me so if I can interrupt. Yeah. I, I, I just, I, I apologize, but th that's a really important point. I just, and your book was written before the new studies came out that about life expectancy mm -hmm. that yes. I'm sure you, you're aware of, but I mean, normally right. when a life expectancy goes down by a 10th or two tenths, it's a really, Thanks. really big deal. And it went big down deal. by three years, 36 months. It's just crazy. Huge. And obviously it was due Huge. to the jab. So well, you know, maybe you could yeah. integrate that recent observation because you struck gold with that one. It absolutely did. Well, the real, this is the funny thing, right? They said it was two weeks to flatten the curve, right? The real <laughs> curve that they're trying to flatten is the population growth curve. They're trying to flatten <laughs> that and turn it negative. Yeah, yeah. They, so, they succeeded. <laughs> they are doing a remarkable job. Yeah. But, you know, to be honest with you, I still have to step back and I think, oh my gosh, there's people out there who are still drinking like soda from aluminum cans. They're still drinking fluoridated water. They're still breathing polluted moldy air. They're still not going outside. They're still not exercising. They're still eating, you know, all this garbage that passes for food in the grocery store. And somehow they survive at all. And somehow they, they are able to conceive children and then have those children grow up to think that that's normal. Now that's rapidly unraveling. I think we're going to watch really fertility drop off of a cliff in the next, 
I don't know if it's years, decades, generations, but this, this can't go on. I mean, I go back to Pottinger's cat study all the time because it's such an instructive model for what happens. If people who don't know this, this guy named Francis Pottinger, um, he, uh, he, he basically looked at the survival of cats over successive generations. And if you malnourish them, they're able to reproduce for three generations, but then they don't have any viable offspring after that. And I think we're at that second to third generation of people who really can't make it because they're so unhealthy, but that's very speculative. In any event, um, I did, uh, the first part of the book deals with the, the big problem, right, of medicine being such a farce and such a, a scam in this country. And then I go into really how this happened. And I have, I, there's three parasites that I see in America. There's big tech, there's big food, and there's big pharma. And when you look at how they, re, how they interact with one another, um, big tech's running the cover and the advertising for big pharma and big food. Big food is really creating the fundamental biochemical imbalances that drive so much of disease. That isn't to dismiss the impact of big tech on people's health, right? Because staying indoors, looking at screens all day, avoiding the sun, staying up all night, baking in artificial light is, you know, and not to mention microwave and radio wave radiation. I mean, these are such bad things for people. Um, and then obviously big food creates all these biochemical imbalances, as I was saying, and then pollutes the environment as well. So it's this perfect storm and they're all providing cover for one another and working to really undermine the health of the American people because at least in the short term, their profit uh, is maximized by doing that and by covering up the harms that each is, is doing. Um, and once you understand that, you're really able to put into context all the social media that you see and how the algorithms are built and why the food is that the grocery store is like it is and why it's worth it to buy and spend extra money on really healthy, wholesome food and out-of-pocket medical care that's not within the system. And then I go on to um, really what I've found to be most impactful in my practice. And I, the biggest criticism I have of integrative and natural medicine in this modern age, and you're one of very few people who, who doesn't do this is that most integrative and natural medicine groups, uh, physician training programs, they ignore a huge proportion of what makes people sick. So you'll see people, you know, niching down into gut health and all they do is talk about supplements and diets and it's all about what's going into the inner tube. And they may pay some lip service to sun exposure or exercise or whatever, but they don't really know all about it. Um, or you'll have people who are just focused on EMF, but they don't ever talk about nutrition. They don't ever talk about the role of supplements and and vitamins and dietary changes. And so you get this kind of piecemeal um, uh, treatment of, 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 of health and wellness. And I, I try to be very systematic in the way I approach things. Um, and so I, I break down in the book, everything into either energy and matter, because if you pay attention to all the different types of energy and matter in modern life, you won't miss anything, at least on a physical level, that's making you sick. And when you address all those things, it's remarkable to see how well people can be. And that's why, again, you know, by implementing all this in my practice, I get people with the results that they want, and then they don't need to call me very often, which is the whole goal. And it's been remarkable to me to reflect on my practice over the last few years, because I always have people pushing back on me and saying, well, I don't think it's this, and I don't think it's that, and I don't want to check my EMF levels, and I'm not interested in this diet or that diet, or that's too hard and whatever. Those people are the ones who fail to get results and wind up paying more for their medical care over the years because they're not willing to fully embrace uh, what it takes to actually get to, you know, what I call optimal vitality, which is the whole goal. And so I share cases and lessons from my practice in the book about that. And then I go into stress, which is massively underappreciated 
people talk about stress relief as being important and they're too, under too much stress. And the reality is they're under too much of the wrong stress and not enough of the right stress. Mm-hmm. Because everything that we do in the health and wellness world, or a lot of what we do in the health and wellness world that is most impactful, exercise, sauna, breath holding or, or diving, you know, any, anything like that is a stress. You know, things like intermittent fasting or caloric restriction. These are, these are stresses on the body and they have all these powerful healing benefits. So people need to arrange the stresses in their life properly so that they're resilient because the body will build resiliency against the stresses that it's used to. And the stresses that we're not accustomed to, you know, the stress of, you know, deadlines at work, staying up late at night in order to finish, you know, reports or whatever you have to do for work. All these stresses really break the body down because we're not actually at all adapted or optimized to meeting them, let alone night after night, week after week, day after day, weekend after weekend. And so that's, and then I walk through how the public health establishment, all of this is very clear in the literature. I mean, you have to be, and I, maybe I'm being, you know, not charitable enough, but you have to be pretty dumb in order to not get a lot of the basic stuff in natural and holistic medicine, um, which I think is a big part of why we're all still, you know, on the airwaves and, and here is that what we say makes sense and it's easily supported from the literature. You have to be very very warped in your thinking and robbed of your critical thinking capacity in order to think that vitamins and supplements and minerals and sunlight and earthing and 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 free diving and intermittent fasting have no therapeutic value um which isn't to say that some of our colleagues are not brainwashed enough to to dismiss all that stuff and that's the that's that's the book it's um it's really in some ways it's a tour de force through everything that i i learned and 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 uh experienced over you know, I, I decided I wanted to go into medicine about 20 years ago, 18. Well, no, it's 20, I guess, because I was about 14 when I decided I wanted to become some kind of practitioner. Uh, and it's 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 all the most important lessons wrapped up in one book. And you did a magnificent job. And, uh, you. you know, I, I would classify you in as in the upper 1% of not just all physicians, including conventional physicians, that's easy to get there. I mean, if you're not in the upper 1%, you're doing something seriously wrong, but you're in the upper 1% of physicians who believe they are practicing natural medicine. So I couldn't uh, recommend your approach more, more strongly. I was very impressed by it. Just to give you some examples, there's, there's far, in my experience, far less than 1% of the people of, of physicians who understand the importance of copper and iron overload. And you, you nailed it in the book. I mean, it was, it was so refreshing to see that discussed. So that to me is a, is a strong illustration and confirmation that you're, you're, you're in the elite section of clinicians in this understanding. So, um, but you also mentioned that there's some, some patients have a, what I call FTI or failure to implement, and they just struggle to, to adopt some of these lifestyle recommendations. And, you know, from my perspective, that's all well and good. They, they we live in America. It's, you know, we believe in freedom. Allegedly, <laughs> your book disputes that somewhat. And I think rightfully so. We're, we're engaging in a course that is, is, is heading towards essentially elimination or destruction of our personal liberties. But the uh, foundationally, we have the freedom to choose. And if you wanted to choose and engage in a convenience lifestyle, I think that's really what it is, where you're avoiding or you're, you're, embracing these these time-saving convenient very tasty and relatively cheap uh 
of uh, options that are available to you that literally destroy your your lifestyle and your your health, then you should be allowed to do that. There's no rule against that. You should be free to choose. But it, so in, in many ways, it really is to your advantage because there's there's not enough people like you out there. So that your services, so the people who are unwilling to in, implement what you're suggesting, they just need to be released and let go because there's there's like 10 people behind in line waiting to get in to see you. So. Right. And that, in many respects, that's a great, great, a great position to be in, because the, the truth is out there. We know we don't know everything, but we know more than enough, more than enough. And you and I'm convinced we both together know this, that we can turn around almost everyone who's not dead. If we they get to us quick enough, They're, whatever disease process they have, it can almost invariably be reversed. Uh, yes. Now, that's not everyone, but it's most people. And if not reversed, remarkably improved. And almost more important than that is helping people who are are at the end of their life, maybe with a diagnosis mm-hmm. or in a mm-hmm. situation where we're not going to be able to get them, um, you know, cure, right? But actually explaining to them that with the time and resources they have, what's really going to help them feel better. Mm-hmm. And it's sometimes as simple as that example, you know, I went, I went to earlier about the Lupron and this poor man who was put mm-hmm. on this for sure. prostate cancer 10 years ago. And he's just, I mean, people are being really exploited by the medical system. And I, I, what I tell people is that the model is to turn you into a recurring revenue stream where you're renting your body from big pharma. You're renting your ability to think. You're renting your ability to stay awake. You're renting your ability to stay and have a normal, you know, normal mood. If you even have that based on the drugs you're taking, right? You're renting your ability to not, you know, become manic or psychotic. You're renting your ability to run, jump, hike. I mean, you're renting your body that you own from these people with the drugs that don't actually get you resolution of your problem. It's so, if that doesn't make somebody feel angry or emasculated, or particularly men emasculated or, or upset. You know, if you're a man, we need to check your testosterone levels and we can do that <laughs> in my clinic if you're interested. <laughs> um, and if you're a woman, you, you know, ask yourself, you know, what kind of future do you want for your kids? But I'm sure your, your listeners are enraged by it. Yeah. Interesting testosterone, because, you know, a lot of women think it's not important, but that is the, the, the highest level hormone in, their, in a woman's system. Now, in men, it's a lot higher than women, but it's still the highest level right. they have. And many women suffer from low testosterone. They're not even aware of it. And they're not even aware of it. And boy, is testosterone a life-changing molecule. There is a reason that it is being vilified and torn down and attacked in both conventional medicine and on the left, you know, these, these cries of toxic masculinity, you know, the, these toxic masculine or, or that what they're calling toxic masculinity is kids who have a classic setup and, and men who have a classic setup for low testosterone levels and disrupted circadian rhythms and, and, and wildly deranged and altered hormone profiles from artificial light, fake food, um, not to mention their pharmaceutical drugs. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes, indeed. So, you know, I mean, I probably should have you back just to dialogue about some current basically some of the, the, the most common things you see and i think pe- that would be a really engaging discussion that many people could learn things from because there's some you you've got the principles down and you know what what when i started my practice or evolved or transitioned into natural medicine and started having my newsletter and i started getting 
uh, national and international prominence and people flying in from all over the world to see me. I, I, I didn't like hide my protocols. It was all on my website. Everything I had was shared. There was no charge for it. It was available free to everyone. And, it, uh, yeah. and what really amazed me, it literally amazed me, I'm sure you experienced the same thing, is that people didn't believe it was true for them. So they were willing to come in and pay me to tell them that you have to do this. Essentially, there was no everything they needed to know already disclosed on my website. It wasn't like there was a secret magic sauce or secret sauce that I was hiding from them. They just have to do the basics. But I think another discussion with you on on some of the common because you're still actively engaged in clinical practice, which Mm. I think that would be very valuable to many, many people. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Because, and I, I, when I, when somebody says, you know, well, I, I don't know if I really want to work with you, Dr. Stillman, I may go over here, over there. I'm like, listen, if you find somebody better than me, go for introduce it. Us because yeah. I yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to have more people I can talk to and dialogue with. And yeah, I mean, just like you said, there's not uh, you know, I know one other doc right now who's out and is on his own and who knows a lot of what I know, but hasn't studied the nutritional and supplement piece like I have. And his name is Dylan Petkus. Um, but he actually didn't even finish his residency because he's, he, and he's, he's wildly successful. He's doing a great job um, yeah. for his, they're, they're technically clients cause they're not patients cause he didn't get a license. Yeah, um, yeah. He's really just doing health coaching, but, but anyway, yeah. And I'd love to come back. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. So the, for those who don't know, um, are, in most States to get your license, you need to complete postgraduate training after the four years of medical school. Right. is a minimum and every state I know is one year postgraduate training and many is more than that, two or three. So unless right. you complete that, you cannot get a medical license in the state you in many states. So that's the dilemma there. But, but the interesting aspect of this is that the truth is the truth. If you understand biology at a fundamental level and how to apply and inspire and catalyze behavior to adopt those, be, those changes, mm-hmm. the, then their, their, their life is going to change dramatically. And, and that, spreads like wildfire. When, when that word gets out, it spreads like wildfire because people are looking for results. They're not looking to adopt some standardized model that the, the narrative is seeking to promote. And the narrative, of course, is driven mostly by pharma. So yeah, it's refreshing. So I, I, I think we need to have you back and just discuss some really good, good, some of the maybe top five or six things you see in some of your strategies and approaches, because I think there would that millions of people would likely benefit from that because we, t- I tend not to go deep. You know, most of the attention in the last year or two, of course, has been focused on COVID and even this interview was largely related to your, your new book. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I wisely perceived intuitively, I guess, that you have much more to offer than the book you wrote. And the book is excellent. I'm not discouraging you not get this, but this book is a great book. So dying to be free would really serve you well. And, and it's a good primer for a lot of natural medicine Many of you are advanced who are watching this podcast. And of course, you'll know many of these things if you can listen to my stuff, but it's really good, especially if you have a friend or a relative, even a neighbor who, who is putting their toe in the water. This is a book you need to get them because it's really going to walk them down, the road, open their eyes, not just to the, the important changes in biology, need to be made, but, but the fundamental precepts of what is happening to our culture and, and it's being destroyed. Uh, and you do a really good job of elaborating on that. So I couldn't recommend it more highly, but, but I think your, your primary gift is, you know, what you bring to the table with respect to your ability to identify, comprehend, understand, and implement these strategies that really make a difference. And that's a rare skill set. And I really applaud your efforts at, uh, 
doing that. And we just need more people like you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And yeah, and I, and I want your, you know, your viewers and listeners to know that they can work with me and my team of clinicians who I'm. Yeah. Tell us how to do that. That was the next question. That was the next question. Yeah. So they can go to my website, stillmanmd.com. There's a little tab on the right-hand corner. It's, it says apply for consultation. They can apply for a consultation there. There's a little, you know, quick intake form, and then we'll get in touch with you. You'll get an automated email um, with the options for scheduling a visit. I'm not taking new uh, patients for the next couple of, of months, at least until 2023. Um, but I have, uh, I have a doctor coming on board. I have a nurse practitioner and I have a PA. So we have pl plenty of, uh, plenty of availability for people. Yeah. And you are wise enough to know that you, you can't really scale to see thousands of people. It just doesn't work in your type of medicine, but what you can scale is to have people under you who are, who are adopting and, and, uh, recommending your protocols and strategies that essentially get the same results. And that's the process. That's exactly doing. right. And I'm, I'm assuming also understand that just because you apply doesn't mean you're going to get in, you know, you have certain standards and if the patient's not willing to, to meet those or com uh, commit to those recommendations, then probably best to see someone else. Yeah, that's right. And, and the thing with the, it's been interesting to, to tell people that I, I think they should work with my PA or my nurse practitioner, because I'll get some pushback sometimes of, well, I really want to work with you, Dr. Stillman. And I just say, look, I'm too busy, but the reality is, my PA and my NP and the rest of my team, which consists of a health coach in Australia, um, and then a personal trainer named Jim Laird, uh, who's a brilliant strength and conditioning coach um, and health coach in general. We sit down every week. We talk about the cases. We talk about what's going on. I give people my recommendations. I have everything laid out in terms of what information we need to gather, what people need to do. And so, you know, I equipped my PA and NP and other, other team members with whatever you need to get well. It's not like you're, you're really going to get a radically different outcome with me. And in fact, what I've run into with my cases recently is there's so many people who want my attention, my time, my talent that, um, you know, I'm spread too thin. Somebody who has more time, like my PA or my NP may actually do a better job right now. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but I mean, it's, it's been tough to juggle all the responsibility. Well, it, that, it is an enormous challenge. No question is how to address that dilemma. Once you become successful and, and there's a massive demand because of the, your successes in helping people resolve their challenges. So, mm -hmm. uh, and I think, I think you have to have a great mind to how to know how to identify and navigate that challenge. So I think you've, I think you qualify for that and are going to do a good job. So I am, uh, glad to endorse and recommend your services. And I think people would greatly benefit from seeing some you or someone on your team. So uh, this has been great. I mean, I really enjoyed your time when you visited me at my house and uh, I, I think you're doing a great job out there. And we just need people like you to navigate it because m most of the time it's going to be just following the simple basics and, you know, that you can get those on my site. They're free. Uh, do those first, of course, because it's, if you and if you don't get better, then you need to see someone who's skilled and understands this can help you get, wean off your medications. And there might be something you just didn't get because you you're not understanding the whole picture. You missed some 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 articles on my site that address it, but you you know you missed it for some reason. So it needs someone like you to help them put it all together, type the loose loose ends, and you know get the results they need and deserve. Thank you. Yeah. I'm happy to take yeah. on new people. Okay. Sounds great. Well, thanks to all you do and we'll connect again soon. Yeah. I look forward to hanging out again. Hope it'll be soon.
All right.